Good morning. It is good to be with you all this morning. We are uh, certainly, certainly excited to be here with you. It has been um, kind of a crazy week. I don't know about you, but it's been a little bit of a crazy week from uh, stuff just going on in life to stuff going on in the lives of some of my friends to stuff going on in the news and around the world. And so it's just been a big week, and so it's good to gather here and, uh, and just worship together as a family of God. I want to welcome those who are joining us online. You may have just logged in, and I just want to thank you for being with us today. And if there's a way we can serve you or pray for you in any way, please don't hesitate to comment or send us a message and let us know. This morning, uh, we're going to be camped out in Ephesians chapter 4. So if you want to go ahead and flip over there. Uh, we have been walking through this series we're calling Replant where we're keying in on some of the key values and key things in our mission and vision as we replant and relaunch the church. Uh, part of that, AJ mentioned earlier, is uh, making sure that our constitution and bylaws are up to snuff and ready to go with who we want to be as a church and where we're headed. And um, so uh, you can, if you don't have a copy of those, they're out on the table out in the foyer. Grab those, take a look, and pray over those, please, as we prepare to, uh, to vote on those uh, just moving forward. Uh, as a church body. I want to do something this morning, if you would. I, I'm going to kind of, a point of, uh, I guess, personal, point of personal privilege. I want us to take a minute and pray. Um, I have a friend who's a pastor. He's going through some really, really hard things right now. I'm not going to tell you his name or anything like that, but I, I just want us to pray together for him. I want to pray for other pastors here in Dixon. Uh, my friend doesn't live in Dixon, but I want to pray for other pastors in Dixon this morning, other churches. And I think we, we need to, as we see uh, ourselves moving forward in the mission of the gospel, we need to remember other churches and pray that they would, uh, that they would help grow the kingdom as well. And so um, let's pray together this morning, and then uh, we'll move on with the rest of the message. God, as we come, we acknowledge that, uh, God, we, <laughs> you're, you're so holy and so good, and God, we, uh, we sin, we mess up uh, this thing called doing life as church, and, um, and we hurt each other. And God, I pray you would bring us quickly to uh, see that, uh, to repent of it, and to seek forgiveness from one another and, and be reconciled. And God, I think of my friend right now. Um, God, you know, you know who I'm talking about. And uh, God, I just pray uh, that this morning you would strengthen him with your love, uh, with his faith that we share in you, Jesus. God, I would pray for a protection uh, on his church. Uh, God, that there would not be any uh, deep divisions or anything that would tear down the work of the gospel in that community. God, we pray that your truth went out. We know it will, Jesus. God, we pray for his family, that you would strengthen them. God, that you would support them. Father, I pray that his children would continue to seek you, that they would not run from you. God, that they would not develop a hatred for the church. Um, God, that they would uh, see this for what it is and that they would run to you and cling to you, Father. I pray it would build their relationship as a family. God, we pray for uh, his wife, the mother of his children, God. We pray that you would strengthen her. God, that you would hold her close. Father, when she sees and hears things said about her husband, that you would just, um, God, you would help her to trust in you and your mission for their family. God, I thank you so much for um, the church that I'm a part of. God, that has loved me and my family so well for the last year. And I just ask that you would continue to grow our love for one another as well. 
that, that you would grow my love for this church, even as they have loved me, that I would continue to grow in love for them, Father. You knew what you were doing when you placed us here. And I thank you for that, Jesus. God, around our community, around Dixon, there are other churches meeting, God, and in some the gospel will be proclaimed. In some it may not be. God, I pray that uh, your truth would go forward. God, I pray that those who are teaching false things would, um, God, would just fall apart, that you would prove their teaching to be false. God, I pray that those who are preaching the gospel, that the gospel would go forward, that people's lives would be changed. And God, that you ultimately be glorified because of what goes on here in Dixon. God, as we come to your word, I pray that you would give me strength uh, to say what needs to be said. Help me to walk faithfully in your word. I pray that the message of your word would be clear and that if there's anything that's just of me, God, that you would sweep it away and that you would be clearly heard by your people today. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. Here's a question for you. Thank you, by the way, for praying with me. Um, Here's a question for you. Have you ever met someone who either self-described themselves as a Lone Ranger Christian, or maybe they didn't particularly refer to themselves as a Lone Ranger Christian, but the way they carried themselves, the way they lived their life, uh, was as if they believed that their growth as a Christian was a very private thing only between them and God. Here's another question for you. Have you ever wondered how we know the way in which church is supposed to be run and how we're supposed to do ministry? Like, how do this group of people who, in some cases, have nothing more in common than Jesus, other than us having a shared faith in Jesus, some of us don't have a whole lot more in common, but we gather here because of our common uh, love of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Do you ever wonder how a group of people like that forms and becomes a church and, and then operates as a church? Well, former Peoria area pastor Brian Chapel tells this story in a commentary he wrote on the book of Ephesians. There's a kid named Michael Dwight who went to Wheaton College. And one day in chapel, Hudson Amerding, who was the president at that time of Wheaton College, and you need to understand about President uh, Amberding, he had the bearing and manner of a naval officer because he was formerly a naval officer who had led men through great times of trial. Now, Michael Dwight, he was called by the president to the front of the chapel while all the kids were assembled there, all the students were assembled there. Now, you need to understand, this is during the era back when bell-bottoms were popular the first time, Okay. Uh, back when bell bottoms were popular and uh, with long hair and a certain attitude about authority. And all of those marks of the era were evident in the malcontents of the college, Michael Dwight, who was known as a leader among these sort of rebels within the college. And so when this guy, Michael Dwight, and that's not his real name, but when he is called forward at chapel by this president who was a formal naval officer and all, carried himself that way. So th- these students, you know, Wheaton's not a huge school. They knew, especially back then, this guy was, a, you know, kind of a rebel against authority. And here he gets called up front. So he walks up front and Hudson Amerding addresses him directly. He says, Michael Dwight, I want you to know that you are my brother in Christ that I love you and that I refuse to allow what others may think about our differences to come between us. 
Then the two men, separated by so many apparent differences, embraced each other. Now, as you can imagine, the tension across that whole campus released something like uh, the air out of a balloon. And Chapel talks about how it was a quite memorable experience for most of those students from that day forward. It was memorable because you had two people who were from outside uh, of outside of their own even cultural uh, situations, their backgrounds, their histories. They were very different, but they could be unified and love one another because of their shared belonging to the body of Christ. Now, in the book of Ephesians, and we're going to be in chapter 4, but in the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul, in his letter to the church at Ephesus, actually addresses this. See, he knew there was these various groups within the church, and there were these various house churches, and they would encounter, they would gather people who were very different from them along the way. They'd be different in their ethnicity, in their social status, in their religious background, and in their personalities, and their priorities. Yet, they had to work together to accomplish the mission and see life and cultural change, right? They had to work together even though they were very different. Paul recalls for them some basic truths of their faith. They're basic, but they're absolutely essential, and they're foundational to our understanding of the church. So let's pick it up in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16, a little bit of a longer passage today. Verses 1 through 16. Now, this passage acts as sort of an owner's manual for the church, if you will. Let's begin by reading. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we ask for your help. Help us understand your word. Open our hearts and help us obey. This is about you, Jesus. May you be big. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, in the first six verses of this passage, Paul spends time talking about some of the things that the church members have in common. 
right? They have the same identity as those called of God. They share the same testimony. They're united in Christ with one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. See, they'd they'd come to faith in Christ because they heard the gospel and the Holy Spirit moved on their hearts when they heard the gospel message and helped them believe that the, the gospel message that all men have sinned, that we've all sinned, we've all fallen short of the glory of God, and that sin separates us from a holy and perfect God. And that Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, came and died in our place as our substitute, taking that wrath of God that our sin deserved, taking it upon himself and dying in our place. And and they had placed their trust in Christ alone for salvation and repented of their sin. They believed this message. They had one Lord. They were serving the same Lord, the same faith, the same baptism. They had the same testimony. They had placed their, their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ. They had this in common. The things they did not have in common should fade in comparison with what they did have in common. Those other things that we talked about, their ethnical, excuse me, ethnic differences. I'm making up new words up here. The ethnic differences, their sociological differences, their economic differences, all of that stuff would fade in comparison to what they had in common, which is the Lord. In Galatians chapter 3, 27 through 29, it says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. So we find us in Christ, those divisions that once divided us no longer divide us. Those things that the world would use to divide us no longer divide us. We are united in Christ, that we're all the same in Christ. Now, we're not all the same, right? There's still places where we're different, but we're the same in Christ. As equal footing, equal standing as children of God, if we are in Christ. So in this passage in Ephesians 4... Paul's addressed that, that what they have in common, and then he gives them steps within the church, things that they need to do, ways that God has provided for the differences so that they can have unity. And the first one we find is that God has given good gifts to the church. God has given good gifts to the church. In verse 11, it says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. And it goes on in verse 12, okay? So, what good gifts has God given to the church? Well, God has given the church the gifts of the apostles who originally served with Christ. The prophets, the prophets in the New Testament who called people to repent. The evangelists those who have told people about Jesus, pastors and teachers. And these gifts we find in this passage, these gifts were given with a purpose. So God gave these gifts. So, I mean, look, I understand what I'm telling you. I understand I'm telling you that I'm a gift to you. Uh, I understand how that sounds, okay? I get it. I understand how that sounds. Hey, I'm just preaching what's in this book, okay? I'm just preaching what's in this book. No, but... But, but really, you know, these are to be looked at as gifts 
that God has given the church. And God gives us all kinds of gifts, right? But specifically here is called out these gifts to the church of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. When we, the fact that we have the writings of the apostles is a good gift that God has given us. Do we look at his word as a good gift that he's given us? It's kind of an aside, but like we have the revelation of Jesus here. Like God has given us his word that tells us about the world and his creation. It tells us about redemption. And do we look at it as a good gift? Sometimes I'm afraid, sometimes, and maybe it's just me, but sometimes I think sometimes we fall into the pit of seeing it as homework instead of a gift. That we, it's a gift that we get to know God and get to know about God. Not a duty solely that we have to accomplish each day. These good gifts are given with a purpose. Well, what is the purpose that God gave these gifts? Well, verse 12 says, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So these gifts had a purpose. So Jesus, if you you hear me here, Jesus and God, God put... Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, gave them to the church with a purpose. He wasn't just saying, oh, here's the thing. There was a purpose behind it. And that purpose was to equip the saints for the work of ministry, to teach, to teach, to train, and to equip. To teach, to train, and to equip. Now, What is teaching, training, and equipping? Well, first of all, teaching is to teach everything Jesus had commanded, right? So that sounds a lot like the Great Commission, observing them, or teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. So teaching is teaching everything Jesus has commanded. That means cover to cover. Then to train in godliness for how to obey what what has been taught in the Word. So how to obey the Word and equipping the saints for the work of ministry. Now, why? Why were the pastors and teachers, particularly, is who we'll talk about now, because that's what we've got now, given to the church to equip the church for the work of ministry? Well, it's so that every member will have the ability to contribute to the growth of the body. You hear that? As a member of the body, you have a contribution to make. I've said it before, and I I didn't make this up. I heard it somewhere else, okay? Uh, I just don't remember who said it first. And it is your relationship with Jesus is personal, but it's not private. It's personal, but it's not private. We are to be contributing to the growth of the church. All Christians, all of the Christians, do the work of ministry. If every member of the church is responsible for building up the church, then that must, in many cases, change our expectations of our pastors or elders. I want to share with you two ways in which I think we need to change our expectations of pastors. And let me just give an aside. I think you guys do really well with this. So I, uh, this is not, I'm preaching this because it's the text. And it's, um, I don't think you guys have 
a big problem with this. But I've been in other churches, I've seen other churches where people have some really weird expectations of pastors and elders, right? Uh, and, and those two words I'm using interchangeably, pastor, elder, because those are, it's the same office in the church. Based on verses 11 and 12, I believe that you should expect me and any other pastor or elder to devote themselves to teaching the word. Okay, I think that's pretty, right? When the apostles, um, when the apostles uh, in the early church, they heard that there was, there was issues in the book of Acts, there was issues with um, the, the Greek widows not being served, they appointed these guys, that's where we get our diaconate ministry from, and they appointed these guys to go and serve the tables so that they could focus on the ministry of the word and prayer. Okay, and that was, that was the whole purpose there. And so I believe that based on, again, verses 11 and 12 there, you should expect your pastor or any pastors or elders to devote themselves to teaching the word. And that goes beyond preaching, by the way. Um, there's lots of teaching the word. There's lots of ministry of the word other than preaching that goes on. Uh, and, and they should be devoted to that as well. And to training and equipping you for service for your personal ministry. So you, as, as if you're a church member, you're, a, you're a, someone who's part of this church, should be expecting me as pastor to equip you for ministry. That is part of my work. Now, the other implication is that, uh, is that the church should never expect the pastor or the elders to do all of the ministry for the church. We're to equip the body to build itself up in love. Okay, now there's some churches, I don't know if you've heard this or not, there's some churches that will hire a pastor and it's like they're hiring a mercenary, right? Like they're hiring, uh, it's a hired gun, like we're bringing you in to take care of all the problems and deal with all the ministry and we'll just come and enjoy the fruits of it and pay you. The only problem with that is that's not what we see in Scripture, because if I'm here to equip you for ministry, that must mean that at the other end of that equipping, there should be some activity of ministry. And so every member is a minister. Not, not, every, minor, not, not every member is a pastor. Please don't hear me say that. But every member is a, is a minister. Paul's goal in our building up of the body is that the whole body, the whole church, would become mature in Christ. That's the goal. You have a ministry to one another. And the goal of that is that the whole body would become mature in Christ. And Paul gives us a description of the maturity that we should be working toward. In verse 13, uh, unity and belief should be working towards unity and belief. Number two, attaining to the full measure of Christ's maturity. Look at verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. And in verse, uh, sorry, continuing, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I'm sorry. There's a note in my Bible that threw me off. To attain to the full measure of Christ's maturity. So we should be working towards being like Christ. Now, we have sin, 
right? We're not going to be perfect. But through grace-driven effort, we should be trying to grow and become more and more like Christ. It's that sanctification plane I've described before where you come to know Christ and then you begin this growth. And it's like an incline, right? Where in 10 years, you don't struggle with the same things you struggled with back then. In 10 years, you know more about God than you did here. In 10 years, you trust God more than you did back here. And you grow. And third of the maturity we should be working towards is being doctrinally sound and stable. To be sound in our doctrine. Not, listen, not that we are sound in some system that somebody told us about, but that we're sound in biblical doctrine, that we are stable in this. That, and, and why do we need to be stable in what we believe about the Bible? We need to be stable in the doctrines of the Bible so that we can resist false teaching because there's a looming threat to the church. That's point number two. There's a looming threat to the maturity of the church in verse 14. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. The looming threat to the maturity of the church is false teaching. The looming threat to the maturity is false teaching. I will tell you as a pastor over the last few years, I have been much more concerned for people, not that they will be led astray by forces from without the church. I've been more concerned about people being led astray by false teaching within the Christian community. Here's the thing about false teaching. False teaching generally does not announce itself as false teaching. It doesn't kick in the door and say, I'm false teaching and I'm here. Right? It doesn't do that. I can't believe I just kicked it. Anyway, uh, it doesn't do that. It's often subtle in how it sneaks in. It's subtle in how it sneaks in. It, even, even the devil, Satan, in the Bible, when he's tempting Christ, he uses scripture, right? He twists things, even in the beginning in the garden, and he twists things, and you're like, well, that sounds right. Because false teaching is subtle when it sneaks in. What's called out here? Well, human cunning, craftiness, and deceitful schemes. There, are, there is a level of false teaching that at its very core, and it deceives people. And it can work in through human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. We must always be watchful. We must always be on our guard. Because what does false teaching do? What does false teaching do? Well, false teaching sneaks in. It sounds good. But if you follow it to its conclusion biblically, you'll find that it divulges from Orthodox Christian teaching. I need to say this. Look, just because it's popular does not mean it's right teaching. Just because it's popular, just because... Look, I know you heard it on the radio or you heard it on TV or on the internet or whatever... Just because it made it out there, it didn't go through any filters to get there. It's just, we're just able, people are just able to put whatever out there now. Especially now, right? 
just because it's popular or it's a bestseller or whatever, that doesn't mean it's right teaching. Now, that doesn't mean that it's not, okay? That doesn't mean it's not. Just because something's popular doesn't mean it's bad, okay? I realize that goes against sort of my, some of my old school punk rock sensibilities, but just because something's popular doesn't mean it's bad, okay? Star Wars is popular. I think it's great. That's a joke. That's a joke. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about false teaching, okay? But we've got to be good Bereans, right? They had the Apostle Paul. He's there. He's teaching them. They're running everything by Scripture to see if it's true. I would expect you to do the same thing with me. I would expect you to do the same thing with what you hear on the radio or watch on TV, to run it by Scripture, the whole counsel of God, and see if it holds up as truth. He talks about the vulnerability of spiritual children. The idea that we need to become mature. We need to be equipped by the pastors and teachers so that we, and by each, you know, and we need to be built up by one another in love, our ministry to one another, so that we won't be spiritual children anymore because spiritual children are vulnerable to these human schemes, to the craftiness, to the, the human cunning, those deceitful schemes. The vulnerability of spiritual children is part of their immaturity, right? It's a sign of their immaturity. The fact that they're so vulnerable to the false teaching is that we sometimes are, and I will say, we are generally not as mature as we think we are. I've run into a lot of people in churches, I've been there too, who at some point have to realize, wow, you're not as mature as you think you are. I was once in a church meeting. I'm not going to say where. I was once in a church meeting where someone who was in charge of maturity, that was their team's name in the ministry of this church, they were in charge of maturity, spiritual maturity training, got up and stormed out of a meeting, angry, and then never came back. Or eventually left. They, I think they came back at once. Now, generally, we are not as mature as we think we are. There's this thing, and I had this pastor, and look, he, he was a guy I served under once, and I don't, like, I don't have a verse for this, so if you find something that, that goes against what I'm about to say, please let me know, okay? I haven't found anything that goes against it, but there seems to be Something of a spiritual adolescence, and some people get stuck in it for a long time. You know when your kids become teenagers, and all of a sudden you get dumber? Right? Like, all of a sudden, you don't know as much as you did like a year and a half ago. Right? Well, there's a thing called spiritual adolescence that I've experienced in churches where people get a little learning and they start to, to follow the Lord and they get, they get some teaching and they start to have some, you know, some deep times with the Lord or whatever. And then something happens and there's some conflict and they just want to jump ship because, well, wow, the pastor just doesn't like, or the, or the leaders or whoever, they're just not as uh, upright and mature as I am. And look, that may be true, but when I see people in that, it's like, and then I see other parts of their life, and I'm like, 
wow, they're not nearly as mature as they think they are. And so, and I, I, again, I didn't coin the term, but spiritual adolescence, right? But I know people who have been Christians, they've, they've professed Christ for 30 years, and they still seem like they're just kind of stuck in that, I know everything and nobody else knows anything sort of thing. So I, I would just say be careful of that. That's kind of an aside. That's a free one. That's your bonus content, right? But how do we, like, what's the danger of the false? Like, when we see immature believers, how are they vulnerable to these human schemes, this human cunning, these false teaching? Well, we see the, the impacts of that. Here's what it looks like. Um, oftentimes, the very immature uh, are dragged easily into new ideas, new books, or new teachings. Now, again, I have lots of books. I have new books, and they help me uh, in understanding and applying the Word of God. So books are not bad. That is not what I'm saying. But there'll be, be a new... Look, if there's a brand new, uh, a brand new theological concept that no one else has ever come up with, a new interpretation of a scripture that no one else has ever come up with, and you've come up with that, and it disagrees with the entirety of Christian history, you're probably wrong. Okay, if nobody's ever had that before, you're probably not right on that. But the spiritually immature, the reason we want to work towards maturity is so that we won't get dragged easily into a new idea or a new teaching that that is in conflict with the Scripture, that is in conflict with what Christianity has been for 2,000 years since Jesus. They get very excited or very quickly uh, become enamored and excited with a charismatic personality in a teacher. I've been listening to a podcast recently, and uh, it's about the fall of this this very big church that, that was in the early 2000s, got really, really big, really, really fast. I, I always listened to their pastor a lot. And then he got let go because he was a bully and an abusive pastor. And, and the church completely fell apart. And I had to realize that part of why I was attracted to him was the charismatic personality. And there was all this other stuff about things he would say that I let kind of fly under the radar and I didn't even notice because he was a really good speaker. He was really engaging and he was really, you know, and yet he had all this stuff about um, that was very damaging to people. And I hear stories about people in his church and because he was a charismatic personality and a good leader or even a good teacher, they would let that other stuff go even though he was giving these signs of having all of these sin issues. But the spiritually immature get very excited about charismatic personalities. When confronted with difficulties, those who are, who are the immature, vulnerable children, they make drastic conclusions. When they're confronted with something hard, they lean into trusting emotions more than the truth. And if their emotions differ from the truth, they become discouraged very quickly. Because what they feel differs from what they see as the truth. And so they take their experience and they actually place their experience over and above the truth of what God actually says is going on and is true. And in verse 15, Paul encourages the Ephesian Christians to come against the false teaching by speaking the truth in love. So we resist false teaching by speaking the truth of the Bible, the truth to everyone. Bobby Jameson points out that in some sense, 
in some sense, every Christian is to teach the Bible to others. So we all have a, we all have a ministry to speak the truth in love to one another. One last thing on false teachers, Second Peter, Second Peter chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 3. So I like to give a, a corresponding reference so that you can see that this theme, this, this, uh, this truth is throughout the entirety of Scripture and not just in one place. Second uh, Peter 2, 1 through 3 says, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. We don't have to wonder if false teaching and false teachers will try to work their way into the church. They will. We're guaranteed that wolves will try and sneak in. And so we've got to make sure that we are doing our part to make sure all of us are growing to the maturity in Christ so that we will stand against those false teachings when they come. Number three, and this is the question that I really want to um, I want to talk about, and that's how does the body of Christ grow? How does the body of Christ grow? How does the church grow? We're talking about the church growing together in maturity and, and growing into Christ, who is the head. So how does that happen? Well, first of all, we need to understand we're not simply talking about numerical growth. Generally, that happens, but not always. We're first and foremost speaking to Christian growth, the maturing of the believer in Christ, us growing to be more like Jesus. We're not particularly talking about more people in the seats, okay? However, it would figure that if the Lord starts moving, people start coming to know Jesus, and people start growing, and in their growing, they're telling more people about Jesus and sharing more about Jesus, it would make sense that that sometimes the numbers happen as well, okay? But hopefully we're a church that will send people out on mission as well. So um, when I'm talking about this, I'm talking about growing deeply spiritually because I think that, that is going to be key to us ministering broadly or widely, okay? We must grow deep and then grow, go, excuse me, go wide. So where does this growth come from? Well, the body's growth is from Jesus Christ. Any growth that we experience comes through Jesus, comes by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God. The church grows, in verse 15 we see, as we speak the truth in love to one another. That's the means by which we help each other grow. Now, speaking the truth in love, look, I, I know sometimes you have to say some hard things to people, uh, that are true, and you're telling them that because you love them. Uh, but that's not specifically what I'm talking about here. And I don't think that's what the Bible here is necessarily talking about. Speaking the truth in love is, I believe, we're to speak the truth of the right teaching of the doctrine of the Word of God. We're supposed to be speaking the truth of God to people, to one another. And that's how we help each other grow. 
right? We love, I love to talk about sports or movies or anything else with people. But that stuff, and I, and I think we should still do those kinds of things, but that stuff in and of itself doesn't help, it help us grow into Christ. It might help us grow closer to one another and stuff like that, right? And have, you know, more um, whatever, uh, just regular relationship. But it's when we speak the truth in love, the truth of Scripture in love to one another. And we'll talk in a little bit about how you do that. In verse 16, the church grows as every joint holds the body together. Every joint holds... Now, that phrase there, every joint holding the body together and equipping, um, what, are, what it says there in verse 16 is possibly, and, and, and again, possibly a reference to the critical role of elders and pastors in their ministry of equipping the body for ministry. It's a little bit of a, uh, kind of a difficult uh, thing there. But that, that joint that holds it together is uh, referencing the critical role of pastors or elders in their ministry of equipping, in our ministry of equipping. If you look at that in verse 16, it actually says, from the whole from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. I'll stop there. I know I stopped the middle, but the joint is with which it is equipped. And so since the pastors, the elders, are supposed to do the equipping, we assume that that's what it's talking about there. And as each part works properly, again, we see that verse 16, each part of the body working properly, that's all of the members, every single one, Christian growth is corporate. Every member is to be helping others to grow and to be helped by others to grow. So at the beginning, I asked about a Lone Ranger Christian. I knew one, sweet, sweet lady, but she thought she could just stay at home, watch the preacher on TV. This is long ago. Uh, watch the preacher on TV and be just fine and grow to be fully mature in Christ. But the Lone Ranger Christian who thinks they can grow better alone is missing out on something. They're missing out on two things. They're missing out on how God wants them to grow, which is as part of a local body. They're also missing out by disobeying the call of God on their life to build up others in the church in accountable and committed relationships. So not only are they missing out on the way God wants them to grow, but they're actually disobeying the command of God to be in a, a committed, accountable relationship within the local church body to help others grow. They're not fulfilling their ministry that they're called to in doing so. They are, as uh, the book of Hebrews would put it, they're neglecting the gathering. So, Here's the question for you this morning as we kind of move towards the end, and I'm going to invite the musicians to go ahead and come on up. Um, will you surrender to what God has called the church to? That's an, that's an individual thing as well as a corporate thing, right? Will, will you surrender to what God has called his church to? It's, it's decision time, right? It's, it's time to decide if we're going to make a commitment, each of us, to building the church up by speaking the truth in love to one another. And if you make yourself committed to this, you'll see these impacts on your life. Like, and, and look, I, I actually want to change that because I said committed. I actually want to change that to surrender. See, a while ago, I, 
I used to do this talk with teenagers where I talked about commitment versus surrender, right? Commitment is all focused on what I will do. Oh, I will do it. I'm committed to it. I'm going to hold tight and I'm going to Midwestern pull my self up by my own bootstraps, right? And so we say, oh, well, it's commitment. Well, okay. But surrender is not all about what I will do. It's about me giving up any right, any perceived right I have. It's about me giving up my ability to do and letting God decide what I'll do. So will we surrender to this idea? You know, when, when there's a battle, right? Okay, now you have to understand that in my imagination, this is all animation like Bugs Bunny, okay? So when there's a battle and people are shooting back and forth, right? And then one side decides they need to surrender, they run up a white flag. Now, okay, I understand we have the Geneva Convention and all that stuff, okay? So I get that. But when you are in a battle and you surrender, you become subject to the conquering army. Do you have any say what happens to you? No. They determine where you'll go, what you'll do, what you'll eat, where you'll be. And so I feel like instead of us saying, I'm committing to this, I think we're saying, I'm surrendering to doing things God's way. So what are the impacts? What are the impacts in your life? Well, this will impact our whole life, individually and as a church. The impacts of understanding this passage, Ephesians 4, 1 through 16, is this. Number one, we'll understand that every member of the church is called to do ministry and not solely the job of the pastors. Number two, if we really understand this, it'll impact our giving. You should joyfully give to your local church's work of growing saints to maturity. As followers of Jesus, we should we should view our finances as a trusted stewardship of God's money, as a way to provide for ourselves as well as for furthering the work of the gospel. Number three, we should, this, the impact of this, if we really take hold of this and surrender to it, then we ought to work intentional times of spiritual conversation, prayer, and Bible study with other Christians into our schedule. It's, and it's really not hard if you just make the time and put it on your calendar to sit down with somebody and say, hey, let's read Ephesians 1 and read through Ephesians 1 and then talk about it for a little bit while you drink coffee and then move on. It, but we have to be intentional about those things. The fourth impact this passage will have is the importance of Sunday mornings. You will desire to gather regularly with your local church that you're a member of. And as you come to the gathering, come with a view of it as an opportunity to worship God, but also to be built up in faith and to serve others. Well, what does that look like? Well, it means when we approach church, we're watching for ways to serve. We're looking for ways we can help out with whatever needs done. Maybe greeting those who you see and you think they may be visitors. We're a small church. You probably know who's a visitor and who's not a visitor. But greeting them, and we do a pretty good job with that, but looking for ways we can serve. Jumping in and greeting visitors, trying to get to know them, maybe introducing them to your friends. Maybe approaching someone else in the church after service with an encouragement or a reflection from the Scripture passage that morning. 
This type of behavior ought to work its way into the rest of our week, the rest of our Sunday and then the rest of our week. When was the last time you had, like, you were listening to preaching and God just showed you something in his word that you hadn't seen before and you were like, wow, that was really encouraging. I'll bet that would be really encouraging to Betty Lou over here and I'm going to go tell her that after service. And so you go up to Betty Lou after service, you're like, hey, I want to encourage you this morning. When was, when was last time that happened to you? Now, some of you may have been last week, okay? Some of you, it may have been a long time. Some of you may never have had that experience. But as we commit as a church to help each other grow into maturity, those are the kind of things that I think we'll start seeing. And it will help us grow. It will help us be more like Jesus. Would you stand up and pray with me? Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you have designed your church for your purposes. God, that you have put me here. God, that you have um, put those in this room who you want to be in this room. God, there's nobody in this room that you don't want here. Um, and when we can lay hold of that, when we can grasp that, God, um, I think it will blow us away. Father, help us to trust you, to trust, number one, the gospel. Because without you, Jesus, none of this makes any sense. And God, if there are those out there who they're not sure of their position with you or if they've never trusted you for salvation, Jesus, I pray that today um, they would, would be the day they would surrender to you, that they would repent of their sin and trust you for salvation, Jesus. God, you're so good to us. You're so good. I pray for this church body that you would help us to grow to grow together into maturity in you, Jesus. God, I know we'll all be at different levels of that, but I just pray you'd help us to minister the truth and love to one another. Help me equip uh, the saints for the work of ministry. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.